Welcome to today's podcast. The Law of Moses is something that covenant Jews have used for thousands of years. It gives them guidance, it gives them direction, it has led so much of what they do and so much of what they say. Over the years, however, from the time of Moses on through down to Josiah and even down to the first century, the reasons for keeping the Law of Moses changed a bit over time based on the circumstances and what was needed and also based on the understanding of those administering the Law of Moses. It's for this reason that when we come down to the Law of Moses as it's being used in the Book of Mormon, we have a fascinating moment between King Noah, who is keeping the Law of Moses but getting rich off of it, and Abinadi. In our next class, we're going to look a lot more closely at Noah and Abinadi, but in this class, we want to be able to spend a little more time looking at the roots of the Law of Moses and how it affected people over the centuries. Join us for this walk through the Law of Moses as we begin to set up those conversations between Abinadi and Noah. And welcome to another Monday morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, Opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within its pages. And now, on to the class. All right, sure, get that going. Um, Okay, recordings of this class actually going down to all over uh, into Africa and all kinds of places. The podcast is kind of having some outreach. It's kind of fun. Okay, that said, let's go ahead and get going. Um, I want to point out that the timing on this class, we're not going to completely dive into all of Abinadi and King Noah probably until more next week. We'll start touching on it. But uh, the timing on this is kind of fun because... Uh, this, uh, this past week is just kind of wrapping up in uh, Israel for High Holy Days. And so you go through uh, Rosh Hashanah, and then you take a few days, and then you're going to do Yom Kippur. It's kind of New Year's celebration kind of thing. Then there's a break of a few days. And then they've just completed uh, Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so at that point, you'll have 100,000 uh, Orthodox uh, Jews uh, descend on uh, the Western Wall, um, and they're going to bring. Uh, and there's, and can, again, the Feast of Tabernacles is celebrating several things, and modern Sukkot celebrates several things. One, it's celebrating uh, that they were brought safely out of uh, Egypt, and they had to live in little tabernacles uh, during that time. So if you are if you are a practicing uh, Jew, you might build a little. Uh, shelter in your backyard. It's got to have some holes in it so you can see this, the, the stars at night. 
but people will come, and you kind of hang out there during the week, uh, and people will come to visit you, and you go out, and you sit under the Sukkot, and you have like little tea and crumpets kind of thing. You know, he's going to have little celebratory welcome your friends. Kind of, it's kind of a fun thing. So, so in, uh, in Sukkot, they're, they're celebrating Feast of the Tabernacles. But these days, it's also the understanding is that it is, it is combined with the belief that this is the day that we're celebrating uh, the, the law being given on Sinai. So the law is being given, and then on top of that, it's the high priestly blessing that you can find in um, uh, Deuteronomy 33. I'm trying to remember if we're going to get to that. but um, where, where Moses, before he dies, before he's taken up, uh, gives a blessing to the tribes. And, it, and by almost like a patriarchal blessing to each one of the tribes. And that, that's the priestly blessing. So what happens is, and you can't necessarily see it in this picture, generally there will be uh, kind of one of, the, one of the main rabbis in, uh, in, in, Jewish, uh, in Judaism will stand up nearly the wall and he will pronounce a blessing on everybody. And they all want to kind of be there for that. Um, and, and what you can't tell is when it gets close to that priestly blessing, they will all take their shawls and they cover their heads. It's like they've, they've created their own little shelter there at the wall. Uh, so it, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty joyous moment uh, when everybody is, is there for that. Um, so against that backdrop and the timing of all of this, I thought I would, uh, as we're going to, so I'm going to, I will apologize, we're going to do a little bit of a history lesson today, but we'll kind of go from there. Yeah. Yeah, and just kind of they're re being reminded of that blessing. I, I think they're quoting from Deuteronomy. Because um, hang on to that idea, because remember, part of what came out of the Josiah reforms is we're not getting a lot of new stuff, just interpretation of the old stuff. You don't want the new stuff, because that could mess with things, right? So, so let's just back up just a little bit. Uh, just a little history on, on the Law of Moses. Again, this is the day, Sukkot, that they're celebrating that the Law of Moses was given. And, and uh, as we know, uh, that, that law was given after they had had an opportunity to, to greet uh, God, come to Mount Sinai, be in his presence. They re kind of reject that. And, and it's like in Exodus, they said, no, you guys go. Moses, you go take care of it. We'll hang back here. That's kind of scary, all that lightning and smoke and thunder and flames. And we'll just hang back here. Okay? And then while Moses is doing that, of course, we know the whole story. You've seen the, you've seen the Ten Commandments. You know kind of how that works. So he's going to come back, and what we're going to get is the Law of Moses, which ends up being the Aaronic Priesthood. Um, Section 84 tells us that that Aaronic Priesthood is for uh, repentance and uh, baptism, it's the preparatory gospel. Um, now, what the Bible doesn't give us is what was further revealed to Joseph Smith, and that was that a major part of the law of Moses was to help prepare the people for Christ, that everything in the law 
was specifically pointing towards the coming of the Messiah and of the Savior. Now again, that's long gone from the Old Testament, but we got it through modern revelation. Okay. It was uh, right to bring us to Christ, but even then, that was that's like it ends up in the New Testament, but you won't find it in the Old. Okay, Josiah's gang made sure that that wasn't happening. Okay, all right, so so we get that now. Here's what happens, though, and here's I guess what I want to emphasize. So this this is given back in the time of Moses, and then we get all of the the centuries and millennium down the road of people living a system of ordinances and performances. Ordinances and performances. And we do things over and over and over. It's like we have a war dinner, we bring jello. It just is one of those performances that we just have got to do it. And if someone hasn't done it, then suddenly we have messed things up. Okay. So, so now what happens is we have these centuries of performances and ordinances, but the original meaning starts to be left out. And so I, I guess that's what I, where I'm wanting to go today, is what happens when we have a system of ordinances and performances, but no understanding as to why we do it. Okay? We, if we've wrung that out, then what happens is that we get all the way down to about 720 uh, B.C., and now we're going to get some history with, uh, with uh, King Josiah that, that uh, remember, in just uh, a couple of decades before Lehi is going to take the family and leave, and we've talked about it before, that we now get the Josiah reforms, that they go, th- that they go through very distinctly, and they're going to pull out um, anything about new prophets, new revelation, uh, any of that. We don't want any of those kind of things. What we are going to do, though, is that we're going to center our practices on the law, the Torah, five books, Pentateuch, and making sure that we center it all on the temple and we do the temple right. And we're going to screen out what the purposes of this are because for Josiah, for King Josiah, especially as a lad, as a king, and, the, and his advisors, all of this is built around not so much on pointing us towards Christ, and, in, and to a certain extent, not even pointing it as much towards Jehovah. Josiah wants to get back to the law of Moses so that they can be safe. You, you always think about Israel as sitting kind of in this vulnerable spot right alongside the ocean, and, and there's bullies on the block. <laughs> you know, you got... Babylon, you've got Assyria, you've got Egypt, uh, you know, deeper into Persia. I mean, you've just got all these bullies. And we're sort of strong sometimes and we're sort of weak a lot of times. And so really it's about we got to be safe. And one of the things that they have come to know over time in history, what happens when they quit leaving the law of Moses or they're wicked? Bad things happen like? Slavery. Like slavery, like cities get destroyed. Like, okay, especially at the time of Josiah and then into Zedekiah, where it's like, okay, we're going to make a promise to Babylon. Yes, Babylon, we'll be your kind of slaves. We're going to do things right. But we're secretly on the side negotiating with Egypt. (laughs) 
and we're trying, and we're and we're being unfaithful to our our uh, to Babylon because we're trying to pull Egypt in. Maybe Egypt will be better, okay? And then that's when Babylon finds out you've been negotiating with Egypt. Okay, we're taking you out. <laughs> that's it. We've had enough of these double dealing people. Yeah. What happened in all this history with the Yom Kippur, the atonement? Yeah, the, well, the Day of Atonement. See, here's the problem with uh, Yom Kippur. Under Josiah, remember, there can be no other worship at any other site. We don't like that temple up in Dan. Don't like that thing. And we don't like the one down in Alexandria. We don't like that one either. It has to be in Jerusalem. And, and to, in order to celebrate Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, we need the temple. So what happens when the temple goes away? All we can do is just hope for the temple one day to come back. So some of those things, the, the performances that were so locked in to the temple, when the temple goes away, we're kind of hanging out here. Okay, They box themselves into a corner. Uh, and so for Josiah, though, what we do know is that if we don't keep the law of Moses, uh, that we're going to be destroyed. So it actually becomes more pragmatic. Than that, and certainly any idea about it leading to Christ—that that's long gone. Okay. So now we're going to protect Israel from destruction. Now, where you see the roots for this, this is this is now we're going to go all the way down to the New Testament where we get it. Now we're seven centuries later after Josiah, because now now the question is. What does the law of Moses look like under the time of Jesus? What does the law of Moses look like to the Jews? Well, one of the mistakes that we make sometimes as we get ready to walk into the New Testament this next year is we talk about the Jews. Like, the Jews believe this. The Jews believe that. That would be like a little bit like saying, what do Americans think about Hamburgers. <laughs> what do Americans think about gun control? Well, it would depend a lot on which Americans you're talking to, right? So we're going to talk about what do the Jews believe about the law of Moses? Well, it depends on which Jews you're talking to. And they're going to have a different view of the performances that they're, that they're doing other than the fact that we're all going back to the temple because we're still living under that, the Josian form of the law of Moses. Does that make sense? I don't want to make this too academic, but I think it's really important that we see what Jesus is doing, and then it'll make plenty of sense why Abinadi is saying the things that Abinadi is saying to King Noah. I guess that's, that's the bigger context that we're trying to get to. Okay? So let's talk about this for a sec. When we get to the law of Moses, the performance of the law of Moses, um, there, are, there are a variety of groups out there, but, but primarily we know, we know the two groups because that's the one that Jesus focuses so much of his energy on. First of all, the Sadducees. The Sadducees are going back to a high priest by the name of Zadok. So this is like the Zadok sees. The, the, and and for the Sadducees, uh, and, and I'll show you this in a second. For them, it's like the, the law of Moses becomes almost a, it's a money generator. 
They're in charge of the temple. They're in charge of access to the temple. And because of that, it's up to them about how much they're going to charge to change the money, how much they charge for sheep if you didn't bring any. You know, they get to decide. They get to be the gatekeepers of the temple, and it turns out to be a money-making machine for them. Okay? And why are they making, want to make money? Because they think they're about half Roman. Yeah. I was going to say because there is no tomorrow for them. They don't believe in the resurrection. Yeah, there's no resurrection, right? Right? And we really, really, really like the Romans. <laughs> we really, really, really like the marble houses, the palatial estates. We like the mosaic uh, uh, floors. We like the gyms. We like the philosophies. We like the Romans a lot. And by the way, they're the ones with the power, so we are, we are we're kind of just sucking up all we can. But we really, it's kind of a cool way to live. And so they're going to build these big palatial houses up high on, if the, if the old city come, kind of comes swinging down, they're up here, Caiaphas' house and all that, up, on, up high on the ridge, close to the fortress of Antonia. They want to be close to the Romans and be safe and be rich. And guess how the law of Moses helps with that? <laughs> it just generates bucks. You know, it generates denarii. It's working great. Uh, so for them, the law of Moses became, and they're going to double down. Now, what they want, though, kind of like Josiah, is we want, we don't want all of these extra little laws that are going to maybe say that we can't be Roman. So we just want the written law. The five books, period. Don't want anything else. Dumb Pharisees making up all these extra laws. Okay, okay. You know, if in some ways, if we were gonna, if we were gonna give these guys uh, kind of a modern understanding, uh, sometimes in our political system today, these would be limousine liberals <laughs> that that are trying to do these things, but they're actually being pretty wealthy. While, while they're doing it, and they like being in popular culture a lot, okay? All right, so there's the Sadducees, okay? Now, so their view of the law of Moses is the law of Moses is just what is written, and in some ways it's like, how do we use the law of Moses to take care of what we want, okay? Keep thinking the priests of Noah when we start going down this road, okay? All right. The other gang, how are they going to treat? How are they going to treat the uh, law of Moses? Well, if if the, if this if the Sadducees were like uh, limousine liberals, the the Pharisees would be like ultra conservative Republicans in the country. Okay, we're going to really double down. On, we're not going to be big and large. We're going to be smaller. But we're, we are everywhere. And our local rabbi tells us what to do. And we're going to go to him and we're going to say, Rabbi, how do I know whether I'm keeping the Sabbath day? And he's going to say, Well, let's decide that two miles is too far. Less than a mile is okay. So, they, so we'll start doing all these rules. We're going to start piling up these rules. The Mishnah that says... How do I know when I'm really being kosher? Well, make sure you do this, but don't do this. Okay? Make sure you do this, but don't do this. 
And they just keep, so you end up getting volumes and volumes and volumes of stuff. Make sure you do this, but don't do this. Now, don't, and, and we're going to talk about how this affects, how we do this currently in the church, because we are, the church is full of people that lean kind of one way or the other. Right? Okay, yeah. Matthew would be more of a uh, Pharisee. He's working... No, you're right. He'd be more Sadducee because he's a tax collector. Okay. He's working with the Romans. And the law of Moses, it had, I don't know, 100 or so rules. And 632. No, that's the Pharisee's law. Oh, oh, gotcha. All right. But the Sadducee's law of Moses, it had, you know, Pope and foot and things like that were all the law. Yeah, because they were written in Deuteronomy. You can find it. It's right there. It's codified. How much of the 600 rules are in the five books? That is a really good question. And, and where are the rest of them? Yeah, that is a really good question. Because what we're, what we're getting down into, uh, all, past all of the, the rabbis' rulings over those seven generations by the time we get down to first century. Uh, uh, and I'll quote you just a second from uh, Rabbi Hillel, who, who died about the 10th, about 10 B.C., that the Pharisees really loved Hillel, uh, or Gamaliel, who Paul taught Paul, but wasn't wasn't hard enough on the recalcitrant Jews. But okay, so but isn't it interesting that part of what happens with the Pharisees when they start getting the law for all the right reasons? We want to we're zealous in the law. We want to do it. But one of the nice things about having the law of Moses is, guess what? I get to know whether I'm righteous. I have a checklist. Am I doing it right? Am I doing God right? Am I keeping all the commandments? I don't know. I can, I can go down the checklist. So at the end of the day, I can look at myself and go, dang, I'm good. <laughs> but even more than that, so I can judge me and I can feel kind of smug in myself about I'm doing fine. But also, because of that, what else does that give me the power to do? Judge others, Judge others right? I noticed that you weren't really washing as long as you needed to. You seem to be walking a little long on the Sabbath. Okay? I noticed the people you were dining with. It was kind of public. We all kind of saw it. Do you really know what you're doing? I wouldn't do that. <laughs> So one of the things that comes out, the law of Moses becomes a way to be able to judge myself, but I can also judge others. You wearing one earring or two? Okay, the minute that we start putting in there and we put these things in there, we're going to start going, okay, I'm going to figure out, you smell, I, I noticed you kind of smell a little bit like cigarette smoke. Maybe. I wouldn't smoke, you know. <laughs> but, but obviously, either you are, you've been with somebody that has been. I'm wondering. <laughs> okay. We just start having these little ways of saying uh, whether I'm on the good side of this or on the bad side of that. Okay. The nice, it's the nice thing about when we get all of the performances and we get, and we lose sight of what, the, what it's, directing us to, and we just stay on the performance side. It just, man, it, and it was. It got in the way. Yeah? So, would there be some kind of a difference between arbitrary and arbitrary? Like, if 
you know, you might think that, but I think at some point, whether it was arbitrary or not, at some point, something that's arbitrary gets nailed down. It gets codified. Because when you ask that question, who are you going to ask it to? Well, I'm just thinking like the difference between whether or not you can take 600 steps a, a day. Right. And whether or not you wear two earrings. Yeah. There's a meaningful material difference. Well, well there can be. And there's, and by the way, there's some, there's some reason behind some of those. But here's what happened, especially in the first century. What, what we do is we go, um, okay, rabbi, how many steps should I take? Then we can roll out with the ruling. Hillel said 598. 599 is too far. Less than 598 is okay. Okay, so now what's going to happen in our synagogue, we have Rabbi Hillel who says 598. But I noticed over in Capernaum, you guys are doing 650. We do 598. <laughs> Which one is going to be, go to Moses faster? The 650 or the 598s? Because we, we now have a ruling that's, that has split that hair. Okay, we're just going to get caught up, caught up in all of the... Ooh, right? Again, not that we do that today. Yeah. Okay, hold on to that. Rabbi, we're having a hard time knowing how many steps we took. How do we make sure, because we don't want to have gone too many steps, because then that would, be, that would put us on the bad category. So how are we going to know? A rope with knots. You could do a rope with knots. That would be one way to do it. That's kind of what they do in Capernaum, but we know those guys. <laughs> right? <laughs> those guys. Okay. Rabbi, wouldn't it be easier if we just didn't walk at all? <laughs> wouldn't that work? We're just not even going to go outside our house, and that way we make sure. Yeah, you know, Hillel said don't go outside your house because you won't be able to count very well. How about that? Okay? Like they do in Capernaum, those guys. We don't want, we don't want to be that. Okay? Yeah. Ah, they could do that. That would make sense. But how do you know that... But that might be too much effort. Maybe I can hire somebody to do it for me. <laughs> oh, what? Rabbi, what do we do about the kids? <laughs> you know? Uh, no, uh, but you know, because here's the, here's the added problem. We measured, and they take more steps. If you have anybody got steps on your phone, you know that... Uh, Cindy and I can walk the same distance, but she's walked twice as many steps as I have. So if we're doing it based on step, see how it goes? We just get cut and cut and cut and cut. So we need more and more and more rulings, and suddenly the whole purpose of the law of Moses is right out the window because we are so focused on the performances that we forgot what it meant. Yeah. I want to say two things. The first thing is uh, Heisenberg's theory of uncertainty says that the more you measure something, the more you interfere with what's being measured. <laughs> okay. Uh, wait, wait. Say, say that one again because it's so good. <laughs> the, the more you measure something, the more you interfere with what's being measured. So, uh, and also this uh, is a parallel idea, but 
This removes the spirit from things. Totally removes the spirit. Total, there's no spirit in this. There's just performance. There's just obedience for obedience sake rather than, than the, the, this obedience is leading me to a place that I'm going to be closer to God. I just don't want to be bad. I don't want to have taken the wrong steps. I don't want to be Capernaum. So we need to make sure that we get rulings to make sure that we are. Would that be similar to taking the sacrament when you have a really good method? Talk about the Savior before you it? Or could you take the sacrament to a kid that didn't wear his tie? See, in, in our ward, what happens is we all wear ties and you put your hand behind your back and you stand. That's because it's a sacred ordinance, so we're going to do that. In Capernaum, they let them not wear ties. You know, in other words, somewhere in the middle of this, um, you know, we, we, ran in, we ran into one of these things, and Bishop, you'll appreciate this. Our, our wonderful, wonderful baptism that we had yesterday. Beautiful gal, beautiful baptism, okay? The sister missionaries uh, neglected to say to her, hey, this is kind of an important thing, uh, and maybe you should like wear a dress <laughs> to the thing, okay? So she shows up kind of in street clothes, and then we put her in baptismal clothes, and we baptize her, and it's a, it's a beautiful baptism. Uh, uh, witnessed, by the way, by two sisters that are just recent converts to the church, which I thought was very cool. Okay, So then she gets baptized, she goes in the dressing room, she comes back out in her street clothes. You know, and there she is, and she's glowing, and we finish off the baptism. You know, and, and we're kind of looking at each other as a bishopric and going, this is a wonderful baptism, but she should be wearing, should she be wearing a dress? I don't know, let's... <laughs> You know, like somebody go find her address really quickly. Well, no, okay, we're going to, in the spirit of the thing, we're going to teach her basically to probably dress better in these kind of situations. But I've got half the room in jeans and t-shirts. And on one side you go, well, this is a sacred ordinance, so you guys should be dressing up for this. But on the other side, I'm thinking, I'm just glad you're here. You know, and somewhere, so these are those things that we wrestle with and and we can go too far in the spirit, I guess, or the spirit of the thing where we don't have any requirements. And then on the other side, that we become so locked down, hey, we baptized you today, but you wore jeans. <laughs> you know, come back when you're wearing a dress. We, we can go way down that road. And I've watched us do this in the church with, like, the sacrament rules. Who's going to do this and how we're going to do it. We had a recent convert in our ward, dang it. He's a recent convert. We gave him a chance to bless the sacrament, and he blessed the bread and the water. It's not how it works. It should be split. Okay, yeah. Just, just, just thought here. Yeah. In today's world, you don't worry too much about the dress. Because someone who's transgender shows up in the temple, the temple and what you do. Let him in, right? And if someone who, by the way, according to the church handbook, if somebody who's transgender shows up at the temple and says, my name is Lucy, what are you supposed to call him? Lucy.
If somebody shows up who's transgender in a ward, do you call him Mike or do you call him Lucy? You call him, you call him Lucy. You know, no matter how we feel, that's what I'm saying. We're, we start wrestling with issues, and I don't, I'm not saying there's answers to this. I'm just saying that one of the things that we struggle with as we're trying to balance like a Law of Moses set of performances versus the spirit of it, and we're trying to say, and so we've got rabbis in the past who would issue a ruling, that's the way it was. We sort of do that sometimes with apostles. You know, by the way, do you know that uh, J. Reuben Clark said the King James Version is the only Bible we should use, period. Everything else is like a mockery. Except when President Uchtdorf is using the NRSV in his talks. <laughs> should be, although how many people are still back in the, in the old culture that says we don't do the King, you, you never walk away from the King James Version. Why? Because... Yeah, that's right. So the church changes? No, the opportune choices change, and the culture changes. The culture changes, but, but when we make these changes, and especially when we're hooked on what the rabbi said, it's not what Brigham Young said. <laughs> you know, and, and people said, we're going we're gonna to hang you as a church on what Brigham Young said in 1845. As opposed to saying, maybe there's modern revelation and, and the church gets to grow and knowledge gets to grow and it's part of a past culture. Well, policies is one thing, doctrine is another thing. Yeah. I know, like blacks shouldn't have the priesthood. That's doctrine. That was not doctrine. It wasn't understood as not doctrine until 1978. Up to that point, on my mission, I was told by Bruce R. McConkie that that was doctrine. And then he had to say, you know what? Well, yeah, we're not quite sure about that. We haven't really researched that. Okay? Uh, all I'm saying is, is that it's amazing how many times we have these things that we start codifying, and then we, then we, lock, we try to lock in prophets to say, you know what? The, the present prophet is allowed to receive revelation, and it might contradict or go a little bit against what we had in the past. But when we are stuck in kind of a law of Moses mentality, we're like, like on that day in, in 1978, um, in my grandfather's ward, they announced that this is the change that has come and, you know, the great and wonderful, marvelous day and everything. Brother stands up in my grandfather's ward in, in Sacramento. In that's right. And he goes... I can't support this. This is just wrong. Yeah, and out he went. You're right. <laughs> okay? So. Uh, <laughs> yes, I don't, but I don't necessarily like that very much. Okay, so let's do this. Uh, I want to I kind of show you how it hits. So, so this idea of the law of Moses and how we interact with the law of Moses. I, I want to hop over here, over to uh, Matthew 23. And again, we're still on our way to King Noah. We're not there yet. Be more next week, but we're trying to get there. Okay, but I do want to set the stage. Matthew 23 is, is wonderful at this very moment. In, in, uh, this is like the last, last week or so of Jesus' life. Jesus makes a triumphal entry into, uh, into Jerusalem. Uh, 
And, and, and the, instead of, and this is Passover, but the people, weird, start breaking out uh, palm shrons and all that kind of thing, acting like it is Feast of Tabernacles and a king is entering. Because he was, okay? They weren't supposed to be doing Sukkot in April, but they were. So he makes his triumphal entry. Uh, the first thing he does is he shuts down the temple by overturning the ta tables. This wasn't, just a, this wasn't just a little rageful act on Jesus' part. This was a coup. And let's not make any mistake about what happens if you can't exchange money and you're not able to buy animals for sacrifices. You shut down the temple. This would be like somebody sitting on the temple recommend desk in the temple and nobody can show their... You can't, the, te the temple can't function without this stuff. Who, by the way, who's in charge of all of the gatekeeping? The Sadducees. You just messed with all the Sadducees. There'll be no buying or selling today. And he's got a whole massive group of people with us. This is like a mass sit-in in the temple. They've shut it down. And all they can do is just wring their hands and go, now what do we do? I don't know. We can't take him now because the crowds will rise up against us. So now in this setting, Jesus gets to start teaching. And he's going to start picking on groups. And the first thing he will do is he will... Um, he, first of all, he's going to blast the Sadducees. And then he's going to take on the Pharisees. It's like, I'm here. I don't have anything to lose at this point. I know what happens at the end of the week. Let's just get this done and on record. Matthew, you taking notes? Okay, here we go. Okay. So let's go over to... I want to go over to Matthew 23. Oh. Let me start in Matthew 22. This is great. I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but I want you to see what he's doing here. It's just awesome. First of all, he's going to go after the Sadducees. We're going to have a little discussion about resurrection. Um, and, and they have this discussion on that. And I'm not, I don't want to go into that. But then look at 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Wow, that was rough. <laughs> because remember, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are kind of sharing power a little bit in the Sanhedrin. Sadducees were really in charge, but they had to let some of the Pharisees in to sit on the board uh, and help them judge uh, because there's a lot of people that are really uh, Pharisees, uh, like Paul. When the Pharisees had heard they put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them tempts him, saying... Master, what's the great commandment? We're just trying to nitpick here, right? Look at what he does. When he says, when Jesus responds, uh, love, the, love the Lord thy God, love your neighbor as yourself, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, all the law and the prophets. Look at what he's doing. This is actually a direct quote from Rabbi Hillel, their, one of their rabbis. If you're going to ask me as a Pharisee, I'm going to quote one of your rabbis on this. Okay. I can't really argue with that. And then, and then they're going to gather together. It's like, oh, man, now what do we do? Okay. Uh, there, there's that battle. Okay. Now. So let's, let's then hop over to Matthew 23. 
after he's kind of silenced the Sadducees, and then he silenced the Pharisees, and they don't, they really can't say anything. Now it's like with them a little befuddled, he then turns around to the crowd, and he goes, then Jesus spake to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Be thinking for next week, King Noah, and where were the priests sitting? They had seats specifically set up for the judges to judge the people of King Noah. And Mormon's going to throw his little commentary in there like, yeah, they built these really nice seats so they could spread lying words to the people. <laughs> Mormon's like... <laughs> but that's what they're doing here. This is part of that. And it's going back to the days of Moses judging Israel. The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Uh, now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... I went through on the Hebrew on this. Uh, with the help of uh, Blue Letter Bible. And here's where this really, verse 3, this is what it really says. The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, all that Moses has said to you, comma, keep the law of Moses. Jesus was an observant, law of Moses abiding Jew. He was. He kept Passover. I'm, most of the time I think he's eating kosher according to the law of Moses. But when he starts letting wicked and sinful people come sit at his table in Capernaum, you'd go, well, is that law of Moses? And he's going to go, yeah, it is. <laughs> All that Moses says to you, diligently do. But according to the Pharisaic reforms, all the Mishnah, all the 600 and whatevers, all of the, all the rulings from rabbis over the centuries trying to split hairs on this thing or that thing or that, don't do that. That's why, that's why on a Sabbath day I can take my disciples and we can go from one city to another as we're walking through the wheat field. We may grab some of the wheat and crush them and eat them as we go because it's not in the law of Moses. But where was it? It was in the law of Moses according to the rabbis, according to the Pharisees. And we're not doing that stuff. Because that wasn't in the law of Moses. It was them adding or splitting hairs about how we're going to do all this. Okay? So that, that's what he's saying. Therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. Okay? Don't do their works. For the, and, and where's the problem with this? Again, what happens when we get caught in just doing the performances and we forget why we're doing the performances? That's when we lose the spirit and we, do it for, we can do it for the wrong reason. I can go to the temple and then I can cheat on my taxes if I can find a way to rationalize what I just did. Yes, I'm being honest pretty much according to my interpretation. I can, I can go to the temple, but I can also be rude and unkind to my neighbors because they deserved it. <laughs> you go, well, that isn't the spirit of what you learned in the temple. Yeah, but did you see what they did? Have you seen their lawn? <laughs> they deserved every bit of that. 
Yeah, because if we're perfect, then we got it, right? Okay, so in other words, we lose the, when we lose the purpose, we're, anyway, that's where I'm going, okay? Now, he's, he's going to, now, I love this one. Uh, they, they bind heavy burdens, they're grievous to be born. They come up with all these extra rules. Um, they lay them on men's shoulders, verse 4. But they themselves... Do, move not with one of their fingers. They won't do anything to help, but they're telling everybody else what they have to do. These guys, uh, they, all their works are to be seen as men. They make broad their phylacteries. Okay? The phylacteries are the, the scroll, the scrolls that are put in the little boxes and we're going to bind them on our forehead. It's one thing if you're going to have a little bit, you're going to try and think in your heart, I'm going to bind that to my heart. What if I build like, but people aren't going to really see it. What if I build like a really big one? <laughs> and it's really going to stand out. It's, it's a monster phylactery. And so everybody goes, wow, <laughs> look at that thing. Okay. Let, let, let me ask you something. It's something I've asked before. Why does the church make our temple clothing? I mean, there's plenty of seamstresses in the church. What would happen if... Um, if, if the church said, you know what, you guys can sew your own. Hold on. <laughs> what would happen if the church allowed people to make their own temple clothing? You get a monogram. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that would be good. What else? Yours is cotton, I'm doing silk. We can make your own temple. Let someone be more accurate. Style. Yeah, but, but if you're going to maybe have your own style on that and you're going to get your own materials and you're just going to, you can go crazy on, and, and the purpose would not be, I want to have a beautiful temple clothing for the temple so that I can worship the Lord. What would, what would the purpose be? Look at me. Look at me. <laughs> I, I'm more better than you. <laughs> right? Because we would. And somewhere in there, the purpose is completely lost in, in all of that. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons why the church has been real careful. Maybe we've gone way too conservative in terms of what instruments and what music we allow into our sacrament meetings. Because if we completely removed all of that, I promise you we would have we would have a rock band going because some kid really learned how to drum well. Yes. Where does Beethoven fit in all this? I think it should be up there too. Okay. But, but again, part of, it, part of what makes what is interesting to me about the church in the, in the church handbook is walking this line between having to say, we need to have guidance, we need to have structure, otherwise people go nuts. But we can't put too much in the handbook because then, every, then it becomes codified. And I continue to, by the way guys, I continue to be amazed that every time, with the, with the handbook being online and accessible to everybody, I keep thinking I know what's in the handbook and then I keep being surprised. 
They are making changes and alterations back to that ongoing revelation pulling from the culture kind of thing. They are making changes on a regular basis. And, I, and so we're having to go back and look. And say, Is that still there? <laughs> you know? Because the, they're recognizing that need to change. And I just love that we live in a living church that has that ability to flow with that and not be so nailed down. Okay? All right. So what, what was it that these guys were looking for? Okay. Six. They loved the utter, uttermost rooms at the feast and the chief seats at the synagogues. By the way, how do you think they got those chief, chief seats in the synagogue? Absolutely. Those are probably endowed chairs. <laughs> Somebody paid a lot of money to make sure that my son ends up in one of the chief seats there. And by the way, you've got silver on your chair. I've probably got gold. Uh, and greetings in the markets and to be called a men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Um, and, and he's going to actually have to, to kind of go down this line and say, uh, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, 13, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for neither you go in among yourself, neither suffer you that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, for you devour widows' houses. You devour, it's in this setting that Jesus will point out the widow's might. When we use the widow's might story in our sacrament meaning settings, what do we use as the lesson of that story? She gave her all. And we go, and that's true. What was Jesus' original intent with telling the story of the widow's might? It, it, was a, it was a blast against hypocritical in what they're doing. Because that widow's might would be used to do what? Oh, you can get a fancier rose. Yes, you can. I can build a better mosaic in my house. And it, it was a scathing commentary on how the, the uh, meager income of the poor was being used to uh, build up the rich lifestyle that they were living now, again, it still works at the level of she gave her all. So I wouldn't stop doing that because I think it, it does that. But recognize what Jesus was trying to say. He was blasting against those that have misused the law of Moses for their own purposes. Keep thinking Noah. <laughs> okay, because that, that's where we're going here. Okay. All right. How are we doing so far? Alright. So now let's go all the way down here to uh, separated by continents. What was it that in all likelihood King Noah had access to or Zenith or his people what did they have access to in terms of what scriptures to use? They did. They had copies of the brass plates. So, yeah, they don't yet have Jeremiah pushing back because Jeremiah is still preaching out while they're leaving town, unless 
unless Lehi had brought with him some additional right. If he'd known Jeremiah, maybe got some of that. Yeah, which w and they, they would have been prior to probably being published. They would have almost had to be private because, because, they, because by the time that Lehi leaves, where are the scribes, where are the priests, where are the people that would have written it down? Well, the, the brass plates were a reference copy. They weren't everybody's copy. They were, they were a, a current, yeah. updated thing. They had to be, and, and the people. But by the way, the people that would have been writing those, they've already they've already been hauled off to Babylon. That's already happened about uh, six twenty. They're gone. They're gone. Okay, so they would have had private copies. You're exactly right. Okay, so for um, Abinadi, then what they what they've got is the law of Moses contained on what they had on the brass plates. Okay, so so uh, all along we've been asking what what was happening over the centuries is that the law was given for a specific purpose to lead us to Christ. It was a system of performances. Then over time, each group is going to use it to their benefit, and they're going to twist it in their way so they can take advantage of that. So King Noah's law would have the same rules that Moses gave. I believe that, yeah. To the mission Absolutely. And whatever additional stuff that maybe uh, King Noah, as a Noah, this is the, like the, the new guy, he could have added additional laws. It, it says right here in the law, thou shalt tax your people 20% to build up a really cool temple. Ah, see, it's right there in the law. And we're, then we're going to go to the judgment seats. What saith you guys? Yes, we should. It says right here in the law, tax 20%. Okay, that's what we're doing. Okay, we're, we can add it. Okay, we're not messing with the law of Moses, but we're going to make the law of Moses work for us to get rich. That's, that's how this works. Okay, so for them, the law of Moses um, is going to get utilized here. So the little bit I'm going to touch on this. Let's go over to Mosiah 12. All right. And I just, I just want to kind of hint at this a bit. Because I'm not ready to leap into Abinadi completely yet. But I want to, against this backdrop of understanding the law of Moses. I, I want to I see how they were treating the law of Moses. Uh, Abinadi is, is, like I said, we're going to talk about it next week, but he's getting on him. You've perverted the ways of the Lord. You haven't taught them. Then 27. Ye have not applied your hearts to understanding. Understanding what? The purpose of the law. Why was it given? And he's going to have to say, let me tell you why the law was given. Because right now you're using it like a money machine. You have not applied your hearts to understanding. You have not been wise. Therefore, what teach this people? They're going to go, yep, we teach the law of Moses. Okay? Now, let me divert for just a second. I've got, I've got loaded in here 
Deuteronomy 33. I want, I want you to, so they would have had access to Deuteronomy. So here's what they're looking at. So I'm going to hop over here to Deuteronomy 33. There it is. We're now in Deuteronomy 33. This is uh, just before uh, Moses is taken up. And this, verse 1, this is the blessing. With Moses, the man of God, bless the children of Israel before his death. And he said, the Lord came from Sinai and rose up. He shined forth from the mount. And he came with ten thousands of saints from his right hand and went a fiery law. Here comes a fiery law from God through Moses to you. Three, yea, he loved the people. All his saints were in thy hand and they sat down at thy feet. Everyone shall receive of thy words. Moses commanded us a law. This is the priestly blessing that they're celebrating at Sukkot. Because he's going to go tribe by tribe. Six, let Reuben live and not die. This is the blessing for Judah. This is for Levi. He's going to go all the way down the line. Okay, but, but Moses gave us a fiery law. Now, I'm, I'm now going to go back to Mosiah. We teach the law of Moses, says the, these guys. Okay? 29. And, and again, Abinadi says to them, if you teach the law of Moses, why do you not keep it? Well, because we were keeping it. We're doing it. The, the laws and performances, we, we rebuilt. You should see Nephi's temple, man. That he built it 400 years ago. We rebuilt it, and man, is it is better than ever. <laughs> it's like Herod saying in Jerusalem, yeah, Solomon's temple was nice, but you ain't seen my temple. I got all kinds of gold in that thing. Okay? Um, and again, he said, if you teach the law of Moses, why do you not keep it? Why do you set your hearts on, uh, upon riches? Why do you commit whoredoms and spend your strength with harlots? And causes people to commit sin. Um, and then he's going to go after them and saying, you're just not teaching the law of Moses. And then here's where the big misunderstanding comes, I think. Come to pass that you shall be smitten for your iniquities. For ye have said you teach the law of Moses. 31. And what know ye concerning the law of Moses? Do you even know the law of Moses? Let, for example, let me split one hair with you. Does salvation come by the law of Moses? So, okay. And they would say, well, <laughs> what say ye? Well, yeah, they answered. The salvation does come by the law of Moses. If we keep the performances in the rules that we have, we're saved. End of sentence. Even if we're robbing the poor, even if we're being unkind to our neighbors, even if we're doing all that and we have a reason and excuse to do that, if we're keeping the law of Moses, I am saved. Okay? Now, let, let, me, let me step out on real dangerous territory, and I'm going to do this advisedly, and Cindy's going to cringe. Can we treat the temple this way? Can we say we're keeping the performances, but somewhere in the spirit of this thing we've gotten lost?
Or can we be active Latter-day Saints keeping, and, and I'm doing my ministering visits and I'm doing all this stuff and I serve my calling, but in the spirit of the thing, I have lost where I'm going. Is that, is that, is that blasphemy to say that that might sometimes happen? That's where I think we have to be careful. Okay, yeah. Or I, I saw people going through the motions and I got hurt by them, therefore I'm going to cast aside the whole, the whole project. I, I believed, then I had somebody that was a priesthood holder abuse me, therefore the whole church must be wrong. The whole thing collapses. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. So um, it, it does happen. It's not up to us, is it? That's right. When we're born, I think most of us are tares. <laughs> well, of course we are. <laughs> we're all tares. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, and sometimes, to, to their credit, I mean, there are sometimes people that have, uh, I remember as a missionary, I know why I went out on a mission. A, it was the right thing to do. Two, after two years, I'm going to be a return missionary stud dude, man. I'm going to be, wow, am I going to be good. Because I've known return missionaries, and they glow, and they know the gospel, and they're just awesome. Okay, I'm going to be one of those guys and then I got out on my mission and was like, first of all, dang, this is hard. And then some, something weird started to happen about four or five months out. Suddenly I realized that I really loved the heck out of these people I was teaching. And, and suddenly it, after I went out, in, I, in some ways, not the wrong reasons, but certainly not the best of reasons, I ended up staying because I loved and I got excited about people that were listening to the gospel and I just and started to be filled with love and I got turned. I got I got moved. Yes. That's right. That, 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 that's why at our, at our baptism, in fact, I said to somebody that just showed up in their work clothes at the baptism, I said, I'm, at, I'm really glad you're here. You know, I hope somewhere along the line, maybe you decide to dress a little better. But right now, man, and I'm not saying anything, I'm just glad you're here. That is, you weren't here, now you're here. <laughs> We're getting there, okay? 
All right, um, along with that then, I love these words by, um, let's see. Okay. Um, BYU professor uh, Terrell Gibbons put it better than I probably could and, and always does. The restored explicit focus of salvation, th this idea of being safe. Yes, um, guy in the back. Um, can I make a comment related to what we were talking about? No, we're moving on. Go for it. For those of you listening online, we're having to make one of these unfortunate little edits <clears throat> that somehow along the way uh, in the recording of this class, the last couple of minutes were left out. So I'm hoping to kind of finish this as you listen, and I hope you'll uh, give me some grace on this as we're trying to finish up. At, at this point, as we're talking about uh, the Law of Moses, um, we finished with uh, some words from uh, BYU professor Terrell Gibbons. Because one of the things that we find in our, in our uh, spiritual life in dealing with uh, people of other faiths is that they have an idea about what salvation is. That salvation to them is, uh, are you saved or not? I mean, are you going to heaven or hell? Have you accepted Jesus or not? What does salvation actually look like? Uh, Brother Gibbons uh, has approached the idea of salvation, and he says this, which I think is critical. And he says, uh, quote, The restored explicit focus of salvation is on what one can become, not on, one, on, on, not on what one must do. In other words, uh, our goal is on what we can become, not what we've done. Uh, President Oaks has talked about the fact that salvation and exaltation is about what we become, not a checklist of what we've done. Brother Gibbons goes on to say, this is why the fatal moment in the Reformation is when Martin Luther reinvented salvation by declaring uh, our righteousness rather than becoming righteous or holy. In other words, that God would declare whether we were righteous or not as opposed to what we actually become along the way. He says, with Luther, salvation became something that God can give us, a gift he grants or withholds at his whim on his preconditions. As saints, many of us still relate to God on that false assumption that we live with a constant fear that we're somehow failing to please him or measure up. It's as if he's looking for reasons to deny us the winner's cup for any reason or any loophole he can find. We lose sight of the fact that God is actually running the race with us. He's not waiting at the finish line to declare whether we are a victor or a loser, that he is involved in this along the way. He isn't looking for us 
to suffer, he is suffering with us while we, do, while we are. That, that's why it is that uh, Brother Gibbons goes on to finish with this. Latter-day restoration, in other words, what we believe as members of the church, our theology goes far beyond the current Christian hope of a personal redemption from heaven or hell. Our faith tradition, based on this restoration, aspires to make us in the likeness of our heavenly parents. We do not become, to use C.S. Lewis's little phrase, little Christ's, by a couple of well-spent hours ministering to our assigned families or abstaining from tea or coffee. The focusing lenses of our religion, its scriptural promises, its temple rituals, its discipline of prayer, and its priesthood piercings of the veil bring us into closer contact with the divine. And so because of that, as we sit here today, we are still very much in the morning of an eternity of striving. It is for this reason then that when we take a look at the performances of the gospel, that in some ways we can law of Moses up our gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't want to make it a law of Moses that is a system of uh, performances and things that we do without always uh, understanding completely why it is that we're doing it. What is the focus of all of our performances? Is it not love? Is it not service? Is it not our transformation uh, from who we were to what the Lord has in mind for us, and that is to be able to live comfortably in the presence of our heavenly parents? In order to do that, that takes this transformation. That's why I love very much <clears throat> when Brother Gibbons talks about the fact that we are still very much in the morning of an eternity of striving, slow process by which we become better. In the end, as we uh, explore in our next class uh, Abinadi and his uh, conflict with, the, uh, with King Noah, we're going to see where the law of Moses came into play, that the law of Moses was being used as a money machine and as a method of control. And sometimes in our own obedience, in our own gospel, we may use it as a way to control ourselves or sometimes others unintentionally. But the result is that we lose focus on what it's intended for. Our gospel even though that it has the, our rituals and it has the saving ordinances of the gospel are intended to transform us and lift us and change us from where we were to being in the likeness of our heavenly parents. The Lord intends it for this to be so. He intends for us to be able to make these kind of changes and by doing so attain everything that he has in store for us. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen.